0: It's episode 83 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinski, and with me are J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp, and we're excited because this is the
1: last episode before the season starts. The big season preview episode. It's going to be supersized, too, which you already know because if you downloaded this, you saw how long it is, and it's longer.
0: I like how you're saying this up front. We really don't know how long this thing's going to go yet. Oh, I,
1: that rundown? It's, it's going to go. And we haven't, we have no pressing time issues. So,
0: but I can always edit out stuff when Ryan starts to ramble. So, you know, just be aware of that. If the, if the runtime does look normal, you know that there's a lot of Ryan content that, that exited the, uh, recording. So JP, you excited to get some real baseball started?
2: Yeah, I've actually tried a new thing over spring, uh, uh spring training and just kind of like tried to tune out. So I didn't, basically worry about what was happening on a day-to-day basis usually check some box scores and different things but it'll be nice to actually start watching a bunch of games in the next week here so you didn't see like christian yelich's absolute bomb on saturday
1: the, I saw that ball that he it. tanked steve he i saw absolutely I tanked saw it?
2: highlight of it
1: oh it was it was majestic it was
2: really something well no i'm saying i did i did see it just not at the time i saw it afterwards i
1: know i was saying that for steve though you know those spring training home runs they count for a lot they do i mean it was funny that craig council told him hey you can you can like stop playing the rest of the cactus league if you hit a home run so he comes up he gets hit in the first at bat and then comes up again hits a home run and like goes and sits down which
0: is what do they have like maybe two cactus league games left yeah and then they go
1: to montreal they're going to be playing games in montreal so what's that league up there they're this is a thing that happens every year now the cr- croissant no it's what the- would be a good <laughs> it's the <laughs> beignets we're, we're sorry for what bud
2: Sealing did to your team we're here have a couple exhibition games to start the year it would be the fleur de Lis league but uh you would also have no i don't know it's a french thing uh and you would i, have, I figured that much out <laughs> well i saw you you guys go i don't know is that a real thing no it's not um and uh but the Montreal Expos play in Major League Baseball and should always play in Major League Baseball, and I'm offended. Yeah, I mean, that is the team name of the team that we share. Yeah, yep, so. we have a Dynasty League name, and so we're trying to bring championship back to the Montreal Expos. There you go. Back.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, let's get this going. Uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions. So follow Milwaukee's tailgate on Twitter at MKE tailgate email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's tailgate Twitter bio. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate, our M and B and ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. And also don't forget, we got our prop bet contest going on right now. If you want to enter that, I pinned the link to the uh, form to fill out. It's on the top of our Twitter page, and I'll probably post it again on Facebook, anywhere else. We'll
1: retweet it out a bunch. We'll get
0: it out a bunch, and just make sure you get those picks in uh, before the first pitch on Thursday. Yep. Right?
1: Yeah, 1 p.m. on Thursday is when it's going to officially have to close down, so...
0: Yep, so yeah, get that in, but do it earlier rather than later. That way, you know, you got your picks in and you're ready to go. Uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Right now, you can go out and get Radicat's New England IPA, and this one is in stores just in time for opening day on March 29th. K4 is releasing Fruit Punch Fantasy Factory, which is made with mango, pineapple, and blackberry. You say that like it's a question. You you have the read in front of you. Right? I look I look to you to see what your reaction is to some of this stuff.
1: It's fruity, and that can be okay in a a certain context.
0: You're fine with fruit. You don't like, like the chocolate stouts and stuff like that. No,
1: I can I can handle it as long as it's are overpowering. Over, you don't like chocolate. I don't like chocolate. So overpowering chocolate in a stout is not something I really enjoy. But if it's like a hint of it, I actually am fine with that.
0: But this is a fruit punch IPA, so go check that well, one out. Well,
1: IPAs, usually when they're fruity, I like them better than just like a straight up like fruity beer. Like one, some of those like blueberry beers that are very like a blueberry ale. Mm-mm. Sure. Okay. Well, that's not what this is. No, it's
0: not. So, Go check that one out. It's brand new. And then on April 5th, uh, Carbon 4 is re-releasing the boozy, hoppy, and incredibly drinkable Idiot Farm. So check that one out. Um, Also get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKETailgate. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4 beer brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre-3 and MixPre-6. For more information, visit SoundDevices.com. Okay, so unlike most times we record, we actually got breaking news right before we started.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: I was going to say, I have additional breaking news that you didn't even see as we were going through. It doesn't have to necessarily do with the Brewers themselves, but it has to do with Ryan, because unfortunately, Mike Zagurski was released from the Cubs. Oh, that's a shame.
0: Well, I knew that already because he's sitting across from me recording a podcast. (laughs) So uh, anyways, the big breaking news, Eric Kratz has been traded to the Giants for CJ Hinojosa. Uh, he's an infielder and going
2: to double A right away. Yeah, according to David Stearns, they, he already told Tom Hodricourt that he is going to be sent to double A Biloxi. So you would think that for Kratz,
1: this means you know he gets a few months of bringing along that Giants uh, pitching staff when Buster Posey's not behind the dish. And then he gets put on the market mid-year and goes to someplace
0: like the, the, the giants, brewers will the giants just,
1: will flip him for i don't know
2: something maybe the brewers will just reacquire him later in the season i don't know like i guess in some ways i i mean i hear that but it's also like the brewers got him on the waiver wire for nothing last year like i don't necessarily know you're going to have to to trade much um and and Hosa is somebody who used to be a little bit more of a prospect Um, he's somebody who's kind of stagnated at double a he's dealt with some some drug of abuse issues where he was suspended for 50 games and i'm sure he's coming up on the moment in which he actually needs to be protected on on the 40-man roster and so for the giants if if that's just not something that works out they can get somebody like eric kratz to come in and be um you know a stabilizing force as a as a backup catcher especially as posey spends less time behind the plate uh, as he plays more first base, as they're trying to kind of lengthen his career, I think for both sides, it makes sense. Um I'm surprised that Eric Kratz, not that, I'm not surprised that he was traded. I, I am a little bit surprised that, um, you know, it brought back a name that I recognized. Sure, I mean, he did prove last year, you were
1: talking about the fact that he was available on waivers last year, but he hadn't proven real obviously at the major league level what a plus defender he was until last year that's when it became really obvious how good he was so i mean they knew they knew he was a good defender but now everybody has the proof of it wait you're saying
0: you're saying because he was splitting starts for like two months that they were then able to definitively prove that he was a great defender that was yeah, the moment. You
1: can see it because with catchers, you're talking about on a pitch by pitch basis. And he was, so and he was, and he was 38 years old.
0: I'm just saying, like, I think there was probably a pretty long sheet of what kind of player he was before that acquisition. So,
1: well, and now it,
2: you can see what a a good defender he was. So, I don't know. Like, I think people don't recognize how long Eric Kratz has been around and how much time he spent at the big league level. I mean, he was getting. 200 plate appearances with the Phillies a couple of times in the early like it was 2012, 2013 and he's been around every single year. There's a reason he continuously makes it up to the big leagues and it's because of his defense and it's because of his leadership and that's why he continuously gets so many chances. Everybody knows exactly how good of a of a uh, of a defensive player he is. I don't think that that's ever been a question.
0: Yeah, so I you know, it was a move that we kind of saw coming because you know, further down the road, Pina probably still has more value than Kratz does, who is 39. Right. I mean, you know, he doesn't have that many seasons left, regardless of how he performs. Right. Yes, so. Grandal
1: Grandal's a one-year player, so you have to have something after him, and Pina is definitely more valuable in 2020, 2021, 2022 than Kratz would be. So,
0: yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So, we hadn't haven't done our uh, pitching preview yet. So, we're going to do pitchers, and then we're going to get into previewing just the rest of the league, the division and the rest of the league. So, uh, we did get confirmation of what the rotation is going to be this season, mm-hmm. earlier this week. Shasin um, and uh, Zach Davies will both be on the rotation. And then, surprisingly, they went with the young guys and Freddie Peralta, Uh, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns all made the rotation
1: yeah and they'll pitch games two through four and then Davies will start that first game in Cincinnati I mean it was a surprise I especially was surprised to see Peralta getting pushed I guess he's had a very good spring so it shouldn't be shocking but that they were willing to do that when I think we had all kind of decided we thought that he was probably going to open the season as the opening day starter for San Antonio
0: Yeah, JP, what's that say about this front office when all offseason we were talking about how, you know, they're going to give guys without options a chance first and guys with options will just have to wait until their time comes. And clearly these rotation decisions
2: are not the case. I think injuries made the decision where they could actually go with the best, the guys who they thought were going to be best rotation. Because if this were a situation in which they potentially were going to lose Chase Anderson, then I don't think that Freddie Peralta would have made the rotation. But the fact that you actually had some issues in the bullpen, they had uh, injury issues, and we'll talk about it more as it goes along, but both with both Jeffress and uh, Knievel landing on the, the injury list, not the disabled list, the IL, then you had an extra spot to be able to send Chase Anderson to the bullpen to be able to make sure that you're actually keeping both people. So this isn't a decision that we thought they were going to have to well, a different way of saying it. we thought they were going to have to make a decision that putting somebody like Peralta into the the rotation meant that they were going to potentially lose somebody like Chase Anderson. And that's not the case at all. If they were both going to be on the roster, then, yeah, I think it made sense for the Brewers to say, put the, the guy who's had the better spring, the guy who we think has a better long term outlook, put him in the rotation. And that's why Freddie Peralta is there.
0: Yeah. Okay, so Adam Post's uh, Patreon question is, with the announcement of Peralta, Woodruff, and Burns all making the starting rotation, what type of stat lines would you project for each? And should we assume that Peralta is sent down once Nelson is ready
1: to go? Okay, starting at the end? No, I wouldn't assume that at all. I would assume that when Nelson is ready to go, if and when that happens, because there's some question about that. We'll get to that in a minute. But I would think that they will make the decision based on what's going well and what's not working and that that would be the driving force of it not just freddie peralta would be the automatic one out i could see any of the the other three being out as well so it it, that definitely doesn't that doesn't factor for me that it would automatically be peralta
0: okay do you have any kind of idea what they're going
1: to do this season I mean, I like Woodruff more for this season than I like Burns. We've talked about that a little bit, that I think that Woodruff is a little bit more ready at this moment to step in and be like a really good pitcher. There was a little talk yesterday on the broadcast on Saturday. Uh, Rock mentioned that there was maybe some issues with Burns because he had dropped basically everything but the fastball slider when he pitched out of the uh, bullpen uh, late last year, that he was still kind of getting back into throwing all his pitches again. And that there was still some of that going on. And Burns just doesn't have the reps at the high level that Woodruff has. Woodruff has been in AAA and the major leagues now for, you know, two years. And Burns just got to AAA last year and pitched a little bit in AAA and then a little bit in the majors. So there's he's not quite as advanced as where Woodruff is. So you wouldn't expect him to be quite in the same spot. But I think long-term, I still prefer Burns. But for this year, I would say Woodruff. And I don't know what to think of Freddie Peralta because he's such a unique guy. You're talking about a guy who's throwing one pitch over 80% of the time. I don't know. JP, what do you think? I, I really still don't know what to make of Freddie Peralta.
2: Yeah, it's the vast majority of what we're going to kind of talk about for the rotation is what we've talked about for the past two years and just having huge variance bars that are like available. Like You could see any of these guys posting low threes and you could see any of them posting mid fours um you could see freddie peralta struggling with his command to the point that he needs to be sent down to triple a um it's i think for for me i i tend to agree that i think uh woodruff is the guy i feel most confident is going to kind of just be a mid you know three five three seven five era guy over the course of the year Um, he could do a little bit better than that. He could do a little bit worse than that, but he's the guy I feel most confident kind of being in that mid rotation kind of range. Um, Burns is a guy who I think has the potential to be the guy who breaks out. Um, but my biggest concern with, with Corbin Burns is the fact that, um, and we've seen it over the past probably year or so is that he does tend to be in the zone a little bit too much. And it's, it's a problem in terms of like he can give up a couple of homers or he can give up a couple of hard hit balls. And he'll be the kind of guy that doesn't walk all that many and strikes out a bunch but somehow gives up three runs. Um, just because right now I think he's still trying to learn how to incorporate all of his pitches. He's still trying to learn how to be able to be a guy who has uh, command within the strike zone and not just control. And so I could see him, if I had to put a, a stat line to kind of answer the question i'd say maybe about three nine three nine era or so Uh, i could see him being much better than that but i think he's the kind of guy who will go through stretches where he looks incredible i think he'll go through some stretches where he gives up some homers uh and freddie peralta man i just have a hard it's weird because i i my gut is to say that he's going to be over four um, but he's also the kind of guy that if he just doesn't have it early, you could see that you could see the you could see Craig Council like pulling him really quickly before he actually gets too much damage. Um, so I would actually say that he probably just doesn't throw that many innings. And he's the kind of guy that Chase Anderson maybe has to pair with to um to kind of make up for the fact that he's gonna throw a lot of pitches.
1: Yeah, looking at Innings totals is going to be interesting because both Woodruff, well, all three of them really are not to the point where you would necessarily think the team would be
0: nice autoplay there on your computer way to mute everything before we
1: start. (laughs) Uh, None of those three guys would be people that you would say the team would probably be comfortable going over 200 innings. And then let them pitch in the postseason, like there's going to be a point where they run into some innings issues if they're in the rotation all year long and have to go you know 30 plus starts or whatever. Now, how likely that is that that's actually going to happen is not very, but it's still something that has to be considered, and they've been careful about increasing workloads on guys over time. When, when was the last time the Bruce had
2: somebody go over 200 innings
1: yeah it's it's rare. Like we're talking about a guy who, for those guys getting well, if they made thirty three starts each, you are talking about getting to two hundred innings at. Don't look! To, don't look at me. I am trying to think. It's it's not even six per start. So if you are if you are making a, an I average think the last of guy, five and a half, I
0: think the last guy that was on track to make to throw two hundred innings was Nelson before he got injured in seventeen. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, but the question then, is I don't still have, like, have scenes innings gonna... in front of me, but yeah, there aren't many guys. And I, I think what's interesting, you know, we have Anderson to the bullpen, Gary will be in the bullpen. So they have some guys that can eat up some innings. We would expect some longer stints there, but does this kind of show that this idea that the brewers are like breaking the mold with how they're managing the rotation is, was more a function of necessity last season than what they actually want to do with the pitching staff. Because I would imagine if you're going to move Peralta, Woodruff and Burns into the rotation, you're not moving them there, you know, because you think you're going to shorten games with your bullpen, because if they want to shorten games with their bullpen, they would have left Burns in the bullpen for a little while to give Anderson a chance or something like that.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably right. I think that they want to give their best pitchers a larger chance to be able to pitch more often. Um, And the injuries in the bullpen, I think, have potentially changed the way that they can use the bullpen to shorten games. Um, And I do take the point that that Burns could move there or something to that regard. But I was looking at uh, I did pull up some numbers here and and the closest. So the Brewers have not had anybody go 200 innings since Giovanni Gallardo did in 2012. Um, But the closest person was somebody I didn't expect. It was Willie Peralta in 2014. And so Yuli uh, Chassin got actually much closer than I thought he went, He went 192 last year. So, yeah, they definitely have had some people go. But I just think that the vast majority of what they're trying to do is get the best pitchers to pitch as often as they possibly can. And as of right now, I think that they are going to use Chase Anderson as a guy who's a long relief mop up guy, guy who can, can carry three or four innings if somebody like Peralta or Woodruff or Burns can only go two. Yeah. Do you think Guerra kind of fills that similar role? Uh, Maybe. I think that Guerra is actually the most likely to be the Corbin Burns of the late, kind of the late inning variety. Uh, He's the the right-hander that has um, some of the best stuff that can go multiple innings. And it'll be really interesting to see what he does because I know that uh, I saw some people talking about his splitter coming out of the bullpen. And he's actually been playing with uh, an actual changeup rather than a splitter, trying to get a little bit more control over his breaking pitches. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Um, and I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that Guerra is able to find kind of a stretch at some point this year where he is uh, excellent in the bullpen because we've seen it in the rotation a bunch. Like, he can go two months and just look like he is, you know, a solid number two starter, but then the command goes... And he can't necessarily, you know, do that over the course of six months. So I'm hoping that in shorter stints, he can still do it over a couple of months, especially early in the year where it seems like the Brewers will really need it. I think with the injuries, what
1: you're going to see is what I had envisioned for Garrow was, I think, what Chase Anderson is going to do now, which he's going to pitch, you know, 50, 60, 70 pitches every three or four days. And he'll come in that way and be used as a I don't know, mop-up man, but somebody who can extend maybe after a shorter start by one of the starters. I would anticipate him being used that way, which is what I thought they were going to do with Guerra. But now that there's just so much extra late-inning work, Guerra probably does slide into that. So, Going back to the point before, though, about Woodruff and those guys, you're looking at Brandon Woodruff last year pitched uh, under 113 innings. So you're looking at a guy who... In the majors or total? Total. He threw 113 innings total. Now, that doesn't count uh, postseason. So it's more like
0: 125-ish. But how old is Woodruff? 25? He's 26 this year. 26? Okay. They can't sit there and like keep babying his innings like forever. At a certain point, he's just got to get out there and throw.
1: Well, But they, I think, will... They're not going to. I'm not to slam him. I'm not saying all the way shred.
0: It, I'm not saying shred his arm, but the idea, like you know, you get into the, uh, um, who was it, Verducci effect, where you're worrying about like a 50 inning increase. If he's in the rotation, you know that that kind of adjusts the calculus of how many innings he threw last season for, versus what he can throw this
2: year. So right. and, I, and my and my take on that is if that's an actual concern to the point that they're actually worried that he's pushing 200 innings, the Brewers are having a great fucking problem.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's a yeah. If they are that good, and these are not small guys; these are not slight. Guys. Well, Peralta's not the biggest guy, but both Burns and and Woodruff are bigger guys. Peralta's
0: not the guy we're looking at to throw 200 innings, anyways. No. Even if even if things go right, Peralta's unlikely to to handle that kind of a workload.
1: Right. And the idea that all three of those guys would throw 30-plus starts is extraordinarily unlikely. Like, that's not going to happen. There's going to be ups and downs, and people will be moved in and out. But you do wonder if one of them breaks out and is that effective, especially Burns and, and Woodruff, what the team will do to kind of manage the innings so that they're available down the stretch and into the playoffs. I mean, they might have to do some stuff to manage the innings is all I'm saying.
0: But if they break out, I mean, let's also, you know, assume that they're probably pitching somewhat efficiently. So we can't just look at the inning count as a way to figure out, are these guys, you know, being overworked at any time. Okay. So the last guy that we have that we're kind of, you know, curious about for the rotation, this season is Jimmy Nelson, who will open the year on the injured list. Uh, He's had, an encouraging spring
1: yes though with setbacks along the way
0: until we recently heard this weekend that uh, he needed a cortisone shot in his elbow to deal with soreness so again every time we start ramping up with nelson we need to throw on the brakes at some point so i guess uh, jp how do they manage nelson on the il to begin the season and i guess what does that mean for his timeline as far as when he starts throwing and how much time he can throw in the minors before he's ready to go.
2: I still think that they are targeting early to mid-May as a place that he is going to come back just because then it'll allow them to not have to deal with any inning issues uh, later in the year. I still think that this is a way to try to make sure that he's as healthy as possible so they don't have to worry about those things in September. Um, The biggest question has always been how his shoulder is going to react. And the most interesting thing is every setback that we've been hearing about Nelson, basically, is not having anything to do with his shoulder. So it's it's a question about, like, there was a freak injury where he kind of, like, caught a spike and had had a leg issue. Like, that. That's, that is just kind of what it is. Um, elbow issues are a, a little bit more scary, but uh, for cortisone, it generally just, to me, that's not as worrisome. It just could be that he's dealing with the fact And they've got a little bit of the ability to rest him a little bit in terms of trying to ramp him up Um, because it's not like they're doing the, you know, what is it like the plate platelet rich plasma injections or like whatever the hell that is when you're starting to worry about the fact that guys are shredding their use their UCL. When you get sent to Germany, then, you know, there's
0: there's an issue that's being dealt with. That's a little more serious.
2: And so what Nelson's kind of going through right now, most of the time with cortisone, is just swelling, right? um so i i'm not actually as concerned about this i think it's just kind of a longer term uh they're trying to make sure he's as healthy as possible um and it could it could be something that becomes more of an issue as we kind of get to may and it he's not really out on a rehab outing yet and then we kind of start worrying about where this is going to end up coming back um but as of right now i i just think it's kind of they're just being overly cautious because they can be because they don't really have any plans to bring him back until mid-May anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the cautiously optimistic part of me says that this is a situation where he hasn't pitched in a very long time, and he's not used to not doing that. Like, he, he's a guy who has thrown a lot in his life, and he is now ramping up something that he hasn't done in a very long time, being, throwing a lot. And so he's getting inflammation in the elbow, and that's why you get a cortisone shot is to take down inflammation. You just googled that? I can see it. Yes, Way I have go. it right there. Yes, that it's, I
2: literally, I literally he, just said that he did
1: yeah. I, while I was googling. That's that, because I think Ryan he said was that. googling
0: it so he could be a web MD for everybody here.
1: Yep. So, I mean, it's a it's a thing that you'd never want to hear elbow issues with pitchers, but at least you would think that there's some reason to think this isn't super serious.
2: But like how many times during spring do we hear guys with like forearm soreness or elbow soreness and everyone goes, oh God, it's, it's Tommy John surgery. And then like two weeks later, you never hear about it again.
1: Right. And then there are guys where you hear about it and then it is Tommy John surgery. I was going to say it happens we, so much. We,
0: we did hear about another guy with some elbow soreness. Uh, Corey Knebel has some UCL uh, damage. He has a slight tear in his UCL.
2: Well, and he has for a long time. And he has
0: for a while. But uh, so he's been shut down. There isn't really a timeline at the moment for when he will be ready to
1: come back. So now, and the question is, how much more serious is this now than it was in the past? And that's what they're trying to get a, a firm hold on is, is this something that he actually does need to have? The first thing you could do would be the PR platelet rich plasma thing. That would be the first step. Potentially. And then, if that's not going to be a thing that can be workable, then it's the Tommy John. And, well, and but see I, you think in it's, I think, the think middle what's, of
2: most like, what's most important to recognize, because I listened to an interview with uh, Craig Council on the topic, and they basically said he's been dealing with this for about four years. They're not necessarily sure what's new, what's not new. But what he, what he said is they're like, is Tommy, like, what's the next step? And Council said, that's up to Knable. It's con- it's completely Knable's call in terms of what he's going to do next. It's not like this is the first step and the team is going to try to do Tommy John surgery so they can deal with this sort of thing. It's basically, Knable's been dealing with this for four years. He's probably feel- dealing with some pain and they did an MRI and saw that, you know, they don't necessarily know what's new or if this is just more of the old kind of cropping up. Uh, and so they're going to get as much information as possible and put it in Canables court and see what he wants to be able to do. And I think, A, what we've seen from him in the past and most pitchers in general, and I think probably rightfully so, we as fans treat Tommy John surgery as just like, just get it out of the way, get it done, and you can move on. And we don't take into consideration the fact that, A, it's major surgery, and B, Canables then what? Going to sit out for a year, year and a half? Um, If he's like, I can potentially pitch through this, He's going to try to pitch through it, and I think we've seen that again and again, I think we have to respect that and can't just say that he's going to need Tommy John surgery anyway, so just get it over with.
0: I don't know. I I hear this, and I think of, like, was it Temple of Doom when Indiana Jones is on the drawbridge with the machete? Okay. And I feel like it's just coming down at any moment. He's going to have to chop that thing and, and get it redone. Yeah, I mean... Because I, he's been dealing with it for a while, and it keeps getting progressively worse, so...
1: Well, we don't know that, though. That's... Not what's, what was reported.
0: He's getting shut down this time. That seems to be progressively worse this than is, this not is being not shut down.
2: Yeah, but like, what's what is the difference if he's like, well, if I can try to get six more months out of it, I'm going to try to get six more months out of it. Right, and I would like, think that like, that
1: would be something that would be very appealing to him. It's not like he's going to shred his his UCL more.
0: I don't know. Is this was was this potentially part of the issue last year when he had to get sent down, shut down? basically and then rest kind of heal up what the injury was before he came back for that run at the end of the season i doubt
2: it cuz i don't know just, how it works cuz he couldn't throw strikes i mean right I, like, that was his his like curveball was just terrible i don't know if your elbow hurts wouldn't your curveball probably suffer i if as much as i respect the fact that you think that i have a good curveball i've no idea my elbow hurts <laughs> most of the time anyway <laughs> oh, you've caught up with us in the, that you know
0: aches and pains area Man, We've been dealing with it for a while since we're me, older.
2: I said let me tell you like I for the longest time it was like the age curve and all this shit about just, you know, you're you decline in your 30s and it was just like, wow, that seems arbitrary in terms of like just big data and all this stuff. And when I hit 30, I was like that is the realest thing I have ever heard of. I 100% believe that when you're 30, your body is just terrible. No, yeah, but until
1: you get to 40. It's,
2: well, yeah, you'll have to tell us about
1: that. Yeah, yeah. Like, wait till you hit forty. <laughs> well, yeah. When do we got? How when uh, you? How long? When you're reaching on the top shelf at the at the supermarket and to get something and you come back down and you can feel every single muscle in your rib cage. That's that's the moment where you're and like, you're, holy you're crap! You're tall. I'm you don't have
0: to stretch to get to that top shelf like other people do. Yeah. So uh, also, beginning the season on the injured list is Jeremy Jeffress, which isn't much of a surprise since he went down with the. Shoulder fatigue and hasn't been back on the mound since. And they kind of said the timeline was going to be relatively
1: long. Yeah. I mean, they're not saying exactly what their plans are for this yet. So we'll see when he, when but he starts would they shut him down, again?
0: there didn't seem to be any plan to really get him ramped up in spring training for the season to start.
1: No. And they're, they're slow playing this, which makes a lot of sense for him. And because he really does need to be as healthy as possible so that he can potentially cash in at least once in a big contract sort of way. So being,
2: being super cautious is, I don't know, really I, the
1: smartest I, thing with him.
2: I think number one, uh, we've seen on the market right now, it, it doesn't really matter how good of like three or four months he has. If he has to go down for a month or two, like everyone's going to point to the shoulder and not give him any money. Um, but the other thing too, is I, This just seems so much like what happened with Zach Davies last year in which he had shoulder soreness and shoulder fatigue and they didn't do any tests and they just kept kind of saying, well, yeah, we're going to see how he feels and it's going to go and then suddenly he's out for two and a half months. You hope that's not the case, but it certainly
1: seems to be in the cards as a possibility. Yeah.
0: Well, like we talked about, Jeffress got worked hard
1: last season. They really did work him hard. That is, yeah. Mm -hmm. He was out for a lot of games and a lot of innings. Is that part of it?
0: I don't know. Maybe he just needs more time in the off season to recover from the workload he had last year. I
2: mean, just like pitching is terrible for your arm. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Brewers went out and signed Alex Wilson, Alex and he Wilson will open the year in the, the pen. JP, do the, you have any scouting daggers? report he on Alex came up with the
2: Wilson Red Sox in, in 2013, 2014, but then ended up, kind of cutting his teeth most directly with, with the tigers. And, and he's a guy, the vast majority of what has changed over the past year is he started throwing his cutter a lot, um, started throwing it over 50% of the time last year. And he doesn't miss a lot of bats, but he can throw a lot of strikes. He can get some ground balls. Um, three out of the last four years, he's been under, uh, a, a three and a half era. And he's just kind of a guy who I think can come in and give, uh, consistency he's somebody that they know kind of what he is at this point but i don't see a lot of upside here uh i don't see a lot of ability to miss a ton of bats um he's going to kind of be kind of that mid-inning bridge guy especially if he if they are going to have um you know last year it was a lot of batting average and balls in play but he was really good against righties last year that might be able to play into what how they use him a little bit but um but it feels a lot like uh, kind of the, the Dan Jennings signing of last year in which they bring in somebody that they kind of know who he is, that he's going to be able to take the ball a bunch. He's somebody that has big league experience. They can come in to kind of be a mid inning bridge, uh, mid inning bridge guy.
1: Yeah. To me, he kind of reminds me of Oliver Drake and that's probably going to send off alarm bells for people, but Drake actually isn't a terrible pitcher. He's just kind of, fungible like he's just generic middle reliever who doesn't strike out a ton of people but doesn't walk a lot of people and just he he tends to pitch his era tends to be better than his peripherals would indicate it's going to be and the brewers probably he does seem to fit their type and they probably have some sort of a plan for him that they would like him to do certain things they definitely as you talked about with the cutter and him really ramping that up and becoming Really, a, a cutter slider pitcher. He throws the, the four seam fastball under twenty percent of the time now, so that seems to kind of fit with what they've done generally. You look back at last year with what you know Wade Miley did, and so that seems to fit with the Brewers' just general pitching plan at this point. So, but yeah, I wouldn't expect him to bit a lot of high leverage innings. You wouldn't think that that would be his role, but we'll see. Depending on you know how things shake out and who's hot and who's not and all that he he seems like just a a guy to fill the bullpen while they're trying to sort out all these injury issues
0: yeah okay so in the bullpen we have locks with uh wilson Hader, elbers uh anderson Guerra, and claudio so um that was reported by harder yeah yeah, tom Hardercourt reported that um so basically it's uh, Jake Patrika, Jacob Barnes, and Taylor Williams, who all have options that are the likely uh, two out of three guys that will fill out the rest of the bullpen, and we do have a question about that. Uh, from Charlie Robleski, uh, run through the scouting report on the bullpen arms, uh, who we just listed, and what steps forward uh, they need to fill a more significant role uh, that has been opened due to injury. So we've seen Barnes and Williams a decent amount.
1: Yeah, I think we have a pretty good idea of what they are. Taylor Williams is a guy who needs to improve his command. And we saw that a little bit even yesterday uh, on Saran Saturday. He he still needs to brush up on his command, but both he and Barnes seem like guys who could break out into high leverage roles this year. Uh, I haven't seen enough of Patrika yet to really have a good feel for what that is other than he's had a, a strikeout spike over the last couple seasons. So there's that, but... I think with Barnes, Barnes has had a very JP and I were talking about this on Twitter a little bit yesterday. He's had a very promising spring training from the perspective of he struck out 10 and walked one. But the competition he's faced hasn't been the greatest. So I I've been waiting, and I think we've all sort of been waiting for Jacob Barnes to take a step forward because you see that, you know, the stuff is nasty. You know, velocity in the high 90s, legitimate breaking pitch you're kind of waiting for him to figure it out and become the guy who can really lock down late innings and we've seen glimpses of that i think at times but we've never seen it consistently over a season yeah. so jp who has the
0: the highest ceiling out of those three guys and who's just most likely to be the the consistent performer if you had to just pick one to say he can make it through the whole season and contribute
2: well, i think i think jacob barnes probably has the best stuff out of, out of everybody there. I think he's the kind of guy that if you could see it all come together, he'd be the the guy who could move into the, the later innings. The biggest problem with guys like Jacob Barnes and Taylor Williams is, is consistency. And this reminds me of like, so, um, I, I used to, to work at a lot of golf courses and we had somebody who came in. That was like a really high profile, um college golfer and and he was and we were just talking about it and i he and i went out and played around and and we were talking about the fact that like when you watch golf on television or you do all these things like a lot of people who get quite good and he and i were always like yeah you know i could hit that shot but i can't hit i can't hit that shot 90 out of 100 times with you know however many people watching it's that ability to to consistently perform at the level you need to perform over six months that really allows you to step into high-leverage situations, Jacob Barnes can absolutely do it for two or three start or outings in a row. He can absolutely do it for a month. It's the fact that his, his mechanics are uh, so fast and that he doesn't repeat them well enough to be able to throw strikes for a longer, long enough period of time and the fact that he relies on guys swinging and missing and most big league hitters kind of were just like well I'm gonna make you throw strikes and he just wasn't able to do that over a longer period of time I think if you do want somebody who is kind of the most likely to be in the in the bullpen over the course of the entire year I would say it's probably Patrika just because his stuff isn't as good and he can throw it for strikes much more often than than Barnes and Williams
1: yeah I mean it makes sense it'll be interesting to see how they decide to do this to start the season since all three have options. I would expect maybe that's the beginning of the season rotating carousel as those three with intermittent trips down to, to AAA. That would make a lot of sense as a starting point for how that's going to shake out for this year. But I would expect we'll see all three in healthy amounts throughout the season. Sure. But I, again, I think my, can... my most, I think I like Barnes to break out,
2: but I could see it being Williams as well. I think what you'll probably see at the beginning of the year is it's going to be Patrika and Barnes. and I think Williams will probably be, be in, uh, in AAA, but we'll, we'll see how it ends up going. And Barnes could break out. I just think that the vast majority of what people look at is they look at the stuff and they remember the innings that went well. And they don't necessarily remember what his biggest struggles are. I mean, I think a lot of people, he's a one that if you, I think if you were to ask the fan
1: base, well, Steve. What do you suppose Jacob Barnes' ERA was last year?
0: I don't know. I didn't spend much time thinking about Jacob Barnes.
1: But, I mean, just like take a guess at what it might have been. Four-ish. Yeah, it was 3.33. And I think most people would assume it was a
2: lot higher than it was. Because... but the question is not what his ERA was. It's when can you trust him to pitch? It's the exact same thing of when do you want to have Freddie Peralta in the starting rotation? What are his issues? The issue is you don't know what you're going to get on any specific day. You're not going to put somebody in high leverage situations where you're going to be like, I might get the the untouchable Jacob Barnes today, or I might get the guy who can't throw any strikes and we're going to like have to pull him over a third of an inning. And that's what they're going to need to see is him, which they can more still consistent. do this season and not next year.
0: What's that? They can pull them after a third of an inning this year, but they can't do that next year. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm just saying it'll be interesting when you have guys that you can't trust to get through an inning. Like, do you really want to put them out there and have to suffer through a flame out where they need to get through? Do they just have to get through three batters?
1: They have to get through three batters or the end of an inning.
2: Okay. Not not three outs, three batters. Three batters. The one thing that I want to point out, because I think that that ERA statistic, by the way, is a little bit misleading the vast majority of the reason why his ERA wasn't as high as you would expect was because the other pitchers that they brought in behind him after he got in a mess were very good. <laughs> and he had a 263 batting average against him. He had a whip that was 1.5. Like, it's, he, he got himself into trouble over a long period of time. The reason why his ERA was better than you expect was because you had guys like Jeremy Jeffers coming in and cleaning it up. Yeah, I wonder how many times Jeffers and Hayter did clean up messes that he started.
1: Probably was a disproportionate number of times.
0: Yep. So, okay, uh, rumors continue to swirl around Craig Kimbrell. It seems like the Brewers and the Braves are the two teams
1: that are connected to him at this point. Though people down in Atlanta... Uh, one of the beat writers down there was saying that the Braves haven't even made a formal offer to him. And we don't know that the Brewers have we either. We don't know that the Brewers
0: have either. I'm just saying those seem to be the two teams that are actually connected to Kimbrel in some way.
1: I mean, they make a lot of sense, especially with the Brewers having the injury issues with Knable and Jeffress, that they have an obvious need. And I know, mean, Atlanta, does, his connection to
0: their, sure. business came up. Does it make sense for the Brewers to go out and pay Craig Kimbrel? And what would be a contract that would work for the Brewers?
1: I mean, there's no such thing as a bad one year contract. So if you're bringing him in, for I one remember year Eric and, Gagne.
0: I, I remember Eric Gagne. Yeah,
1: but I mean, then you remember Eric Gagne disappearing. So like he just goes away. And they, that didn't That cause was a, them. That Eric was Gagne a bad one year contract. But Eric Gagne didn't cause them any extra pain in 2009 or 2010. He was gone because it was just a one year contract. So. Kimbrel Kimbrell is good, though I think a lot of what – there's two things that kept his market down. They were shooting for some six-year, $100 million contract. They wanted him to be the highest-paid closer of all time because he's been to this point, like basically Mariano Rivera to this point in his career. He He has been basically that good. The problem was the last anybody saw of him was – He couldn't throw a strike or get an out in the postseason. And it was just white knuckle time every single
2: time through.
1: So you can't can't
2: believe that's why nobody wants to sign him. Nobody's looking at the postseason and saying, I can't sign a guy like Craig Kimbrell because he struggled to find strikes for two weeks.
1: No, I think it's the combination of the two things. It's the fact that his demands were so high that everybody was like, "Okay, we're not going to pay this. But you were
0: just talking about his consistency over how many seasons. He
1: has been it, generally pretty good, though he has slipped a little bit. But it, you Last were just year talk- he slipped a little bit before the post. You were just talking
0: about his consistency, and now you're saying that a month where he was white-knuckling in the playoffs, which A, it's the playoffs, and B, he's a relief pitcher, and everything when you get that deep is white-knuckling.
2: But like at the same time, I just want to pick up the point that uh, you said before that point he had been pretty good. Like, Craig Kimbrel is a guy with a career ERA under two. Like, he's been more than pretty good for a long time. No, I said he's basically been the best closer of all time. I just, didn't I say I that? I know that. I know that, but then you followed it up saying before that he had been... You, always, oh, no, no, last last year, You do your classic caveats on everything.
1: Last uh, year, he struggled a bit before the postseason. Like, this isn't just about the postseason. It was, he was not the classic Craig Kimbrell last year. And we'll see what it looks like for... JP, is Kimberl a good add,
0: like, in a vacuum? Or does he make sense for the Brewers right now? Like, they need to add him because they need him for maintaining a win total that people were expecting.
2: Well, I think that he's... I think he would be a really good signing in a vacuum. And I think that he would be a, an excellent signing uh, for the Brewers right now. It, the question is just going to be whether or not... Um, you know, and, and we don't know whether, whether or not the money is available. Uh, I don't think if if he signs a deal for like 15 15 million dollars a year a year on you know a four four year deal or something like that like that's fine that doesn't seem to me to be anything and the most interesting thing about that and would be like the fact that it would actually and this is like a very <laughs> this is a very kind of sad comment as well but like it would uh definitely make Corey can more um would make him cheaper because he's not going to be able to go through the arbitration process and absolutely ramp it up with saves with with Kimbrell in the ninth inning. Right. Like, and, and we know that the arbitration system still pays via saves. Um, so there is that. And so like they might be able to say that we could allocate that money here and we'd actually be saving it on the back end from here. Same thing maybe with somebody like hater, they could save it on the back end there. Um, so i just don't know if the money's available i don't know if somebody like uh wants to get into a situation in which he is going to potentially not be the the closer every single time that he comes in does he want to go to a place that says well we have we have uh, more flexible bullpen roles here
1: i mean if he comes in he would be the ninth inning guy with you know maybe the exception of letting hater go two innings occasionally into the ninth inning but like he would be the ninth inning guy most likely well, and I don't think – the the Brewers
0: really didn't start using Knabel in a really flexible position until they hit the playoffs. Well, no, like because, I mean, he was
1: the closer in September. Well, I mean, even in the playoffs, Knabel was still coming in before they really, like, trusted him. He was still coming in sometimes in the sixth and seventh inning. Like, sure. It was – Knabel was basically the ninth-inning guy except for when Jeffress was pitching better than he was, so – So okay, Uh, we have a question from Jason
0: Spitz. He says, "Assume no Canable for the season and no Kimbrel. How many wins do you knock off your win projection for the Brewers?"
1: A couple.
2: We'll get to the win totals in a few minutes, but yeah, a couple. I was gonna say I have no idea how long. Does it say assume that Uh, Canable? Assume no Canable for the
0: season, and they don't sign Kimbrel either.
2: Uh, yeah, it's probably two. I don't know, like the whole the, the the biggest problem, especially when you're talking about Canable and you're talking about late inning bullpen is that's where you outplay your run differential. So that's where it's really difficult to figure out, like what ends up being the the effect. It could be pretty high or it could be, you know, the Matt Albers from the first half of last year ends up coming out and he's just a guy that you can rely on in the late innings again. Like
0: there's well, just and also Jeffress not being available for the beginning part of the season is changing that as well. Like if Jeffress was still there and we kind of expected him to do what he did last season, it's different with no Corey Kinable than it is currently where you say we just went from this, you know, pretty deep bullpen
1: like with some high end arms to, you know, Josh Hader and guys. This is where you really thank your stars that we have Craig Council as the manager because there's going to be a (laughs) lot of pressure. Are you really saying this? Are you saying this?
0: You're, you know what? Every manager looks like a genius with the bullpen where you have a lot of guys that can get out. I was going to make a different point. If, if council's putting guys in, he's making decisions that we would all agree with, and the bullpen blows up.
1: Different, what are going to do? Different point I was going to make, and tell no, you what—that's
0: entirely what it was going to be.
1: I was just going to say that you have to be thankful that we have Craig Council as manager because he is going to be mostly, I think, immune to the pressure that's going to be put on him to pitch Josh Hader exclusively in the ninth inning. He is going to continue to try to use him as an effective multi-inning weapon, like he did last year. As I don't think to anybody's arguing with that. Him
2: in that spot. Do you think do you think anybody other than like the most casual fan is going to be complaining that Craig that that uh, haters not pitching in the ninth inning? Take a look at at Hodercourt and McAlvey's uh, mentions
1: after like a, a bullpen <laughs> blow think, up I, in those situations and look at what people actually think. There were so many people who thought, Josh Hader, last year, stop screwing around with Jeffress, stop screwing around with Canable, just make Hader the closer because that's what you do with your best reliever. There were no, so many a, people I, that thought that that's what should happen, and it's talk, not going to be a factor
2: this year. When you're talking about public pressure and things that you see on, on Twitter, the only time that I think that pressure actually is anything meaningful is when you actually have people writing articles and you have people that are actually going in and and dictating what most people are thinking. That matters more than Joe Schmo and Wes Ben coming in and being like, I don't understand why Josh Hader is not pitching in the ninth inning. The difference last year was you had a lot of people who write blogs, do podcasts, have a lot of followers on Twitter. were all doing those sorts of things and talking about the fact that Hader was not being pitched enough. I don't think you're going to see that this year because I think that my own take is that you have seen people who follow the Brewers and have a lot of kind of like online uh, can can kind of like cultivate an online community learned from last year.
1: And I also think that those beat writers that I mentioned before, McAlvey and Harder have done a really good job of explaining why hater wasn't used that way and why it's valuable. They've done a great job of Making it possible for council to operate that way. Too. I mean, the
0: other issue is you're saying, oh, well, people are going to complain that haters are not in the ninth. Well, people also complained last season in what late August in August that he was being underused, that he was being underused. So, I'm just, regardless of what happens, people are going to complain about bullpen usage, but I think it doesn't matter, people will complain about they bullpen will complain, bus- but
1: I usage. do think that we so stop,
0: stay- stop fighting the internet no
1: i think we it stand is not a pretty a good chance
2: it is not a thing that you can beat so stop
0: <laughs>
1: also, trying to I fight also,
2: it i also do not conceive of a situation in which there is a manager that goes like you know what they're saying on twitter i've got star pitch the yes. closer, like that's not a thing that happens. Managers, no, you're right. The point
1: I'm making is that they are in a pretty good position to keep Josh Hader away from being limited into that role because of counsel being in that in the chair managing it, the situation. Like he is he has shown he does not want to to do that even though it's what i don't think that's counsel exclusively
0: i think this front office is going to pick a manager who is going to manage their bullpen in that way
1: yes it's everybody in and right down to the beat writers as well like everybody seems to understand it and that's going to help keep them away from that hopefully
0: okay so jerry eldred on twitter asks who is going to lead the team in saves now Don't everybody jump on it you know right away. Well,
2: you're also allowed to have an answer there. Don't just try to pass it off on us because you don't have an answer.
0: That would be a shitty podcast if That's- I read the question and then just answered it right away. I don't here. think that would be fun to listen
2: oh, here to. Here Steve, so who do you think is going to lead the team and save now?
0: <laughs> I think it's going to be Taylor Williams. I think he breaks out and assumes the closer role.
1: Oh, yeah. The, the eyebrow raise is perfect. There. I was
0: waiting to see what your reaction was. Who?
2: What's your take? Give me Jacob Barnes. <laughs> okay. Uh, might as well in for a diamond for a dollar. I mean, to be, to be honest, I think the dark horse here is maybe Alex Claudio guy who actually saved quite a few games with the Rangers. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's certainly possible though. Having watched him now a few times, I can't imagine him getting right-handers out consistently enough that I'd want him to have him facing good right-handed batters in high leverage situations who got most of the saves when Canable was out last season jeffress and then hater got but jeffress wasn't like exclusively the closer no when when Canable was not in the closer role they kind of rotated through between who uh they wanted in a certain order between Jefferson and hater they both got double digit saves
0: yeah i you know i think there will be a little bit of trying to hold hater back another inning if possible so then they can go maybe eighth and ninth as opposed to seventh and eighth with him so i don't i don't think haters usage allows him to rack up enough saves to lead the team yeah it's it's just too hard to get that many multi-inning saves and it
1: would be a waste of his talents i think
0: to do it that way I, i don't know if there are enough situations where that's where he needs to protect leads I'm, you know, I wouldn't say it's a waste of talent. It, it just kind of depends With on situation. and Jeffress starting on the IL. Who do you expect to be used as late inning arms in close leads? And that's from uh, Mark Pudscarby.
2: I think you'll, you'll probably see uh, Matt Albers being there again. You'll probably see somebody like Claudio who's done it in the past. Um, I do wonder if they might pitch uh Gera a little bit in high leverage situations late, but I do think that they're going to try to treat him as more of a right handed Josh Hader. I don't think that they're going to kind of relegate him to, um, to a closer role Uh, and, and depending on how the early season outings look, Jacob Barnes could be there. Um, I basically, I think that they're just going to play the hot hand early in the year um, and in high leverage situations. I think that they're going to try to go multi-innings with, with Gara multi-innings with hater. And then they're just going to say who's pitching the best at this time. And then I think you'll probably see them be in high leverage situations. What are you expecting out of Matt Elbers this year, JP?
1: Cause I really have no idea what to think. I don't know. I haven't watched. So he looked so hittable for the last, you know, three, four months of last year, but he was
2: so good early on. But like, I don't, yeah, he's had such a long history that I'm not going to say that whatever he was for three months is, is what he's going to be going forward. I'd be really interested to see how he's looked in the spring to to, to gauge on that. But I tried a new thing to not really watch any spring training to, to kind of like because every single year, especially and I did this most specifically for fantasy baseball um, is like every fantasy every year i always am like don't pay attention to spring don't pay attention to spring don't pay attention to spring and i end up paying attention to spring and i end up like drafting people who had really good springs and then they're like really shitty over the course of the year so i decided that this year i was going to try to not pay attention all that much outside of like p- uh position battles which i think you could you can actually like gain a lot of things looking at spring performances uh when guys are are actually like battling for positions which is why i think that jacob barnes probably will be one of the guys who ends up making the bullpen because his spring performance has been good. He'll be rewarded for it. That'll be great. Um, but for me, I would need to see um, what Matt Albers looks like. What, How has he been throwing? Is he just trying to work on fastball location? You know, there are so many things that we know about how pitchers ramp up their usage over the course of spring that we don't really know what to expect going forward. But I do think that Matt Albers has gained enough, Uh, goodwill over the course of his career but also what he did early last year before getting hurt
1: yeah I mean his spring numbers he has eight strikeouts and two walks in five and two-thirds innings he's given up some hits hasn't given up a home run which that's actually a little bit encouraging because it's such a home run friendly environment down there and he was just getting tagged for home runs every single time out like he was just a home run machine For the second half of the season. And it was, it made him just completely unplayable. You couldn't have him out there because there
2: was just no point. He was just getting tagged left and right. But like, we've seen this over the last couple of years, right? So, like, what, 20. 2014 well he got he was hurt for most of the year in 2014 but so 2015 he had a 1-2-1 era 2016 he had a 6-3-1 era the following year with the nationals he had a 1-6-2 then last year with the brewers he had a 7-3-4 and we know that he was actually quite good for the vast majority of last year before he ended up getting hurt um so this is kind of like ben what he's done he he's very volatile he's a guy that can be really good over the course of an entire year he's somebody that can really struggle so we don't honestly we just don't know and in the years in which he's struggled he's given up just an absolute crap ton of homers and if he can keep his home run rate under one he's actually been keeping his era under two so we're hoping for the the good year i guess
0: okay uh we ready to do our mlb preview game on okay let's start out with the al we'll go through this pretty quick um I guess, first off, what are your general takes on the American League this year? Because last year we saw it it seemed like the top teams in the league were in the AL. You know, Boston was great. Houston was great. And I think we felt like whoever came out of the National League and faced an AL team was really going to have a tough task. They were going to be at a disadvantage. Is that the case again this year?
1: There's like three and a half really good teams in the AL, and everybody else is pretty mediocre to bad. Like, it's the Astros— the Red Sox and the Yankees are the behemoths. And then the Indians are kind of weird because they're going to put up a pretty good record, I think. But that division is just so insanely bad, like aggressively bad, that they kind of don't have to even try, which they really didn't. They were they spent all offseason trying to cut payroll and like shift things forward and take advantage of opening up a new window. So my expectation would be it's really those three teams and then maybe the Indians get involved and who knows, you know, the athletics had a really good season last year, but I don't know. I really believe that that's the real deal there. So yeah. I mean, the most interesting thing in that entire league is going to be the race between the, uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees. And we'll see if the, the Rays can kind of force their way in there a little bit and surprise people. Cause I think they, they can at least be a very relevant team
2: yeah jp what's your take on the al and the al i think the vast majority of complaints that you see about kind of a lack of teams trying to win i think in general that's almost all in the al and part of it is because there are so many like houston and new york and boston are there and if you're toronto do you really think that you're going to compete no i mean you don't And so you have to make a decision on where you're going to allocate your resources, um, you know, still make a profit, all those sorts of things. So I think the most interesting thing is actually in the AL Central. Uh, I know that Cleveland does have a lot of uh, they have a lot of great arms. Um, They should be a team that is able to take the 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 Central. The twins are going to be really interesting. Uh, the the twins, if they're going to be able to take a step forward, they've got a lot of guys. Whether it's Buxton, you know, eventually Sano is going to be able to be a guy who comes back. But they've made a lot of really sneaky good moves. Um, they're they've got a lot of power, and it's going to be whether or not their pitching can come through. Because whether you're talking about Jonathan Scope. They're going to have Jorge Polanco over the course of an entire year now. Eddie Rosario was a guy who took a step forward last year. They got Marwin Gonzalez on a really great deal. Nelson Cruz is going to be their DH to be able to help them take a step forward there. So the question for the twins is going to be whether or not they can actually, uh, they can actually pitch well. And they're going to have Jose Barrios up at the top. Uh, kind of being the guy that everyone's going to look at to be their ace. The question is, again, is is Kyle Gibson the guy that we actually saw last year? Or is he somebody that, you know, the Dennis Green quote is like he is who we thought he was. Uh, and they've got a lot of bounce back guys, whether you're talking about Odorizzi, you're talking about Pineda coming off of his Tommy John surgery. He's apparently looked OK in the spring. Uh, Martin Perez is apparently throwing in the upper 90s in the spring. Uh, and some scouts, according to Baseball America, are saying that he looks legit. So, like, they're going to be relying on those guys to take a step forward and allow them to actually um, field a pitching staff that is is playoff quality. And if you look at their bullpen, it's not great. I mean, their closer right now is is Trevor May. They've got Addison Reed, who's, you know, Pakota projects him to have over a five ERA. They've got a lot of questions in terms of, like, is Trevor? Trevor Hindenburg are gonna be a guy. Are they gonna go with like Taylor Rogers, who's kind of a left? Like it's just they've got so many question marks in their in in their bullpen, and most likely they're gonna to try to address it by moving a couple of their um their big kind of uh, pitching pitching prospects, Fernando Romero and uh, Edibalto Mejia will probably move to the bullpen to try to make that a little bit stronger, but. They're the team, along with the Rays, that I'm looking at to see if they can actually break out this year because they can be young, fun teams. Is what about there, the Angels? Like the Angels are another. I was just going to ask: oh.
0: Is there anyone in the uh, AL West that can challenge Houston right
2: now? I think Oakland can. Um, Oakland is just kind of the team that every single year, and like last year when we were talking about, it, was like Jed Lowry going to come to the Brewers? Like I just didn't realize that they were doing anything that was productive. O- Oakland does that where they're they're all of a sudden sneaky good. Yeah, but like the angels, you look at what they're doing and like they've got Mike Trout and then Zach Kozart and David Fletcher and Justin Bohr, and Jonathan Lou and they've got a, a rotation that like is just dealing with guys who might need Tommy John surgery or start on the DL. Um, yeah, like I guess they could be good if everything really works out, but. To me, I just look at a lot of the guys, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've heard of them, and yeah, they were good once, or yeah, maybe they could be okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Angels are a team for a couple years from now, now that Mike Trout's locked in long-term, and they have a really legitimately good young farm system. I think more a couple years any, from now, but... They don't, have, they don't have any arms. They don't yet, now. They, they're they going to have to kind of figure out how to work around that and bring in those guys other ways. Okay, so uh, what are you guys' picks in the AL for uh, each division and then the two wild cards? I can go first. Uh, I would take the—I'm going to go with the Yankees. I had the Red Sox winning it last year. Uh, I'm going to go with the Yankees this year. I think they're a little bit better. And then uh, the Indians and the Astros. I don't think there's much of a question for those. So who are
2: your two? Oh, and then the two
1: wild cards. I'm actually going to take Boston and I'm going to take Tampa it's tough because there's they play each other so many times that there's so many losses that have to come from those but i do just think tampa's the good young up and coming team and i don't like oakland to repeat what it did last year so so you're just following pacota then is that what pacota said
2: yeah is, no, is, is it what it I, yeah i mean i'm just giving you shit um i think uh i think boston is going to take the east um i still think that a lot. I know the Yankees are absolutely stacked, but I, I, I still like Boston and their offense um, being able to to kind of take it. Uh, I think the Yankees will make make the wild card for sure. I still think Cleveland probably has enough just because of their pitching staff unless they end up just trading a bunch of people. But they're going to have uh, Carrasco. They're going to have Bauer. They're going to have. um, um they're going to have Kluber. Uh, Clevenger took a step forward last year. Shane Bieber is kind of like one of the big breakout guys. They could have just an absolutely stellar one through five, and then their bullpen with Brad Hand still looks good. Uh, Houston, I think, doesn't really have any question they're going to take the West. Um, the question for me is going to be whether it's going to be Oakland, whether it's going to be Minnesota, or whether it's going to be Tampa that takes the second wild card. I, I'm i I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, Oakland is able to, to still be quite good. I, I like their bullpen a lot. Um, I still think that they've got some good hitters to be able to go, and most of the time I forget that Oakland exists. So this year I'm going to go out on a limb and uh, actually try to pay attention to them.
0: See, I would have picked the same thing. Uh, so I'll switch it up and say Minnesota is going to take that final wild card spot. Yeah, I think
2: that's a legit call
0: too. And I'll, I'll pick Minnesota because I think they can just get enough wins in that division. Who's going to win the AL East? Yeah. I said I was picking oh, the, the same, same thing. exact thing. I okay. literally was going to pick the same thing as JP, but okay, I'll, I'll change it up and I'll say Minnesota takes a wild card. Like I said, just because I think they can pile up the wins in the division. So, Okay, on to the league that matters, the National League.
1: God's League, <laughs> and, the Senior Circuit.
0: Yeah, and not because they don't have the DH. I don't give a crap about that stuff. When the NL gets a DH, I'm not going to worry about it at all. You guys? I want the DH, so no. But see, I don't actively want or dislike it. I Just whatever.
2: Look, I told you I'm a fan of really weird things happening, whether it's in terms of like, you know, I I want scenarios in which I can watch Brent Suter hit a homer. Yeah, I, I don't need to see that. <laughs> I know that's because you're anti fun and you're interested. You're interested <laughs> in things being optimized to its maximum capacity. I'm not interested in that. I want weird stuff happening.
1: Yeah. So pitchers hitting is definitely weird.
2: It is. It's so much fun. Like I actually enjoyed like, because I didn't need to watch it all the time. But like when I got to see Ben sheets, like stand in there and every single time a pitch got thrown, like back out, that was just really funny. Every time I just got to see Ben sheets, just be like, I don't want to be here guys. Okay. Let's
0: start in the NL East, which got a lot more difficult this off season. Uh, The Mets made some moves and got better. Obviously Phillies went out and got Bryce Harper. You still have Washington as a good team. And you had Atlanta who won the division last year. And I guess Miami, the weather's nice. It hasn't flooded yet completely. So um, what do you guys see in the NL East? And I guess how does that impact the entire league? Because, again, we're going to go through the NL Central, and it's going to be a similar situation.
1: Until Harper signed with Philadelphia, I had the Nationals. I'm going to switch it. I think Philadelphia moves in front now. And I give me Philadelphia to win the NL East in an absolute bloodbath that will only be rivaled by the NL Central bloodbath but it's watching those teams slam into each other all year is going to be amazing. There's going to be so many good games out of those teams because there's just so many good players in the NL East. It's amazing. Yeah. I, JP Atlanta seems to be the team that's
0: ascending. They have more young talent that they've brought up. Um, do you think they build upon that
2: this season? I still, I still think Atlanta has a really great shot of taking the, the AL East because, one of the things that I like about them most is—did I say the AL East? You did. you did. Okay, I saw you all like, like look at me like I said something dumb. Um, so the the NL East, um, because the Braves, what? I don't. Uh, I don't actually have a lot of questions about what they're going to be able to do offensively. Freddie, Freddie Freeman's obviously going to be really good. Acuna's going to be great. I was, they've got Albias there. They've got Josh Donaldson now. They've got Johan Camargo, who's actually one of. I think he's going to have like a Marwin Gonzalez type of year. Like they've got a lot of really good, interesting guys. They've got Enciarte there still, and the biggest question is: Are they going to be able to pitch well enough? And they're not going to need to spend their bullets. But as the year goes on, they're going to bring Kyle Wright in. They're going to bring Tuki Toussaint in. They're going to bring Luis Go- Gohara in. Like, it's just going to be guy after guy after guy after guy that they're going to be able to bring in. Um, so I think that Atlanta might start. A little bit slowly, but as the year goes on, barring injuries and all of that sort of thing, I think that they're going to be able to be a huge factor. But I still think for the NL East, I'm actually going to take the Nationals. I don't think that they get enough attention. Uh, there, uh, everybody wants to talk about the fact that Bryce Harper left. Um, they still have uh, Juan Soto. They've got uh, Victor Robles. They've still got Adam Eaton out there. They've still got Trey Turner. They they're they're loaded. Anthony Rendon, um, who you didn't even and mention, and is the like always is top five NL MVP. Strasburg, it's going to be, uh, or, it's gonna be Scherzer, like and they've got uh Sean Doolittle struggles with with injuries, but Sean Doolittle is annually one of the best relievers in all of baseball. Oh, he is so good when he's on
1: the field; it's unbelievable. He really so, that strikeout to walk ratio is just insane.
2: Absolutely, when, and so I think when you look at what what. Um, the Nationals are going to be able to do I mean they've got Patrick Corbin now uh, they've got Annabelle Sanchez uh, which you know if he's able to kind of turn around what he did last year and repeat it again he's going to be really good in the rotation and they've got uh, the ability to have a a good um, a good bullpen again I don't think people realize that Trevor Rosenthal's there now Kyle Bearclaw's there now Um, they've got a lot of guys that can potentially come in and and be a little bit more than just Sean Doolittle in the bullpen like I said I had Washington ahead winning the
1: division until the Harper thing, and I think which that's is, just a swing. Which
0: I don't understand because that Washington team last season with Harper had more talent
1: than what this Philadelphia team has. And I wouldn't expect the same weirdness to happen like two years in a row. Was it weird? It's a difficult division, but it's a tough
0: division. So, I mean, the idea that like, oh, they added Harper, so he's just automatically going to you know drag them into the playoffs. I'm like, no, the teams in that division are too good. I don't think Harper made that much of a, a difference.
1: Oh, no. Philly went from being a pretty decent team last year to being a Really, really good team, and I'm with saying, all the things they did besides Harper. And I'm saying minus Harper on each team,
0: I still think the Nationals are better. Sure. So I don't know why just adding
1: Bryce Harper to the Phillies, it's like they well no go from, because they also added Gene Segura, they I also added Andrew McCutcheon. they also added no I understand David that. Robertson, like and I don't they know added if, a ton of great players. And, I don't know
0: and, if that team's as good as what the Nationals had last year with Bryce Harper, and the Nationals last year with Bryce Harper struggled.
2: Well, they also had uh, JT Real Mudo too. They also but had I, JT Real Mudo. I, I mean, I think I think the huge question is going to be whether or not Phil, the Phillies can pitch.
1: Right. They're going to have to get something other than like Aaron Nola and like whatever Nick Pavetta can bring. They they need more. and area. Yeah, that too. But like they're going to have to add more than that. But getting back to that point, like Philadelphia added so much. I'm just saying that until that last thing, until the Harper thing. I think that's what pushed them over the top. And I don't think that Bryce Harper is a 1 to 3 win player like he was last year. This year he's probably more like a 5 or 6 win player. So, I don't know. He hasn't really been consistently. No, he's been up and down. He's been better than people think though. Like that's that be- kind of gets. He's lost. been
0: better, but he was supposed to be battling with Mike Trout for the best player in the game every
1: season. And he, in 2015, he was the best player in the game. So, and what like, year is it? It's now 2018, and he's 26. It's 20 what? 2019, and he's 26 years old. Like, it's not – this idea that, like, the clock has run out on Bryce Harper's potential no, stardom I don't, is I don't think the clock, to me. I
0: don't think the clock has run out on Bryce Harper. And I don't think that Bryce Harper can't put up those fantastic seasons again. The idea that Bryce Harper just year in and year out is – The, you know, top one, two, three players with Trout and Mookie Betts. I don't think that's
1: who he is. Probably not, but I think he's still enough of an impact player that, again, there are lots of shifting him past, but there are lots of impact players. Sure, and they added a bunch. of They added JT Realmuto, but who's he's the best catcher in baseball. My so. only point
0: is he's not otherworldly, so I, I think you're overrating Bryce Harper in that way just a little bit. So, okay, uh, we got the NL West, which is also not going to be easy unless you get to play the Giants every week. I mean,
1: okay, it's the of, Dodgers. It's of, the Dodgers of
0: the divisions. It's you know the easiest one in the National League,
1: but the, there's still some competition. The Padres could be this year's version of the Braves like that could happen but I still think it's much more likely that they're a, a breakout team in 2020 or maybe 2021 I don't think it happens quite this soon just because I'm not sure that they have the overall pitching that you would need to do that and like you're still breaking in so many young players to go with you know the obvious big add of of Manny Machado the Giants are a hot mess uh the Diamondbacks decided to trade Paul Goldschmidt for you know a return and now he's signed a long-term extension with Cardinals so like I don't see the Rockies could perhaps put a run on them and they just locked up Arenado long term so he's not playing for a contract anymore so there's a little stability there but I don't know that I trust the Rockies pitching to be as good as it was last year because that team was really they were a below average offensive team. If you adjust for park, they were not a great offensive team. Everybody thinks they are, but they're not just because of Coors Field. But their pitching was so good. And the question is, are guys like Marquez and Freeland for real? And will you see a repeat performance from them? I don't know that I'd want to bet on it. So I think the Dodgers are just head and shoulders above everybody in this division.
0: JP, weren't the Rockies another team that had a pretty impressive bullpen performance last season?
2: Yeah, they, they had a really great bullpen. Um, it's uh, Obviously, Wade Davis was there. Um, Ottavino was there last year. He's obviously signed with the Yankees now. But they've still got uh hwan Yo, They've got uh, Mike Dunn there. They've still got Jake McGee. They've got Scott Obert. They've got plenty of guys that can come in and, and kind of step into their bullpen. I think the biggest thing for me is, yeah, I think the Dodgers are, are pretty clearly the, the class of the West, um, though I do think that Colorado is a sneaky shot there. Um, and not to say that they'll overtake the West, but I think that they've got a shot for the, for the wild card because – um, adding Daniel Murphy to the first base situation, moving uh, Ryan McMahon to second base, it, Garrett Hampson is still kind of like a big kind of fantasy guy who can steal a lot of bases. But then they've still got Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, David Dahl. Uh, they've got Charlie Blackman. I don't see a scenario in which they're not a very good offense. Um, they've got kind of good production from top to bottom. And the one thing that I will say is yes, you've got, you know, Marquez and Freeland and the big questions are whether or not they're for real. But if they're not, you can still have guys like a John Gray. You can still have Jeff Hoffman come in and be guys that could potentially take big steps forward and make a claim to that rotation. Um, so I think that I think that the Rockies are a little bit better than people think. Uh, I had to go and look at the Padres' rotation to try to figure out who all five of their starters were going to be. So I still think that they're they're maybe a year away. Um, and Kirby uh, Yates is somebody that really was great in the first half, and then he moved to the bull, uh, moved to the closer's role and became an absolute home run machine as he'd been over the vast majority of his career. So I'm not ready to say that he's an absolute stud. Um, so, yeah, I still think it's the Dodgers. I think the Rockies are probably going to come in second. And then it's going to be whether, you know, Padres or D-backs. I think the D-backs are a little bit better than maybe people give give them some credit for.
1: Yeah, because they didn't completely dismantle. If they were completely dismantling, they would have gotten rid of Zach Greinke. And they didn't. So they're kind of trying to, like,
2: thread a needle here and do something interesting. Well, and maybe they, they, they couldn't did... move
1: Greinke because of the money. Are but... they
2: counter building? I, I think what the D-backs did, and that people don't necessarily appreciate and and you'd think if all of the organizations would understand what the the Diamondbacks did when they traded Goldschmidt it would be the Brewers because it was a year of Goldschmidt. It's not like they were going to get an absolute ton back. And yeah, they maybe could have gone in for like one really big prospect, but what they did is they went for Carson Kelly and they went for Luke Weaver who are useful big league players that they have over six years. And that if one of them breaks out to the fact of like what the Brewers were able to do with guys like Travis Shaw, that return suddenly looks very, very good. Um, And so what they're trying to do is they're going for guys that have track record guys who have, uh, are big league ready, have a little bit of upside, but a lot of control and could be useful big league pieces. I, I'm i not as down on that trade as a lot of other people are just because, you know, Luke Weaver took a step back last year. So no, n- now, you know, no one is enamored with him. But Pacoda still has him
1: putting up a 360 ERA. It's stupid because I didn't criticize that trade from the Diamondbacks perspective. But then when Goldschmidt signed the extension with the Cardinals, it... It shouldn't. It shouldn't impact how I view that trade, but it does change how I view that trade. It just, it does. How old is Goldberg? 31. 30, 31? Yeah. I
0: don't know. Go ahead. Sign a
1: long-term I mean, extension. he only signed a five-year extension. Well, so would like, you want to
0: sign him for more than five years? No. That's it, about as long as you're going to get at this point at that age.
1: Well, and the Cardinals got him at a pretty reasonable overall contract. They didn't have to give him the you know those years 37, 38, 39 to get him got, locked in. It's the Cardinal right. way. I think I think
2: think one of these years we're going to like have to have an intervention on your feelings about the Cardinals me and my feelings about the Cardinals I yeah Yeah. it's like it's like it can't be that bad
1: (laughs) (laughs) so anyway are we all in agreement Dodgers winning the NL West yes
0: I guess I was going to go through all the divisions we talk about them and then at the end we'd make our picks like Like we did in the
1: AL sure but we already did the the AL or the NL West or the NL East already
0: Okay, Uh, let's get to the NL Central and uh, our Milwaukee Brewers. So again, we've been talking about bloodbaths, and this is the bloodbathiest of all the divisions probably. You have the Cubs. Again, we look at a disappointing Cubs season last year, and they won 96 games, and they got beat out on an extra day because the Brewers made an amazing run in September. So, you know, and they also get uh, Darvish back this season in the rotation. Did they make any other rotation additions? They didn't sign anybody, but I'm trying to think if they had anybody just come back.
2: No, they're, they're just going to, they're going to have Hamels staying obviously after last year is going to be the biggest thing. It's going to be Lester, Quintana, Hamels, Hendricks, and Darvish. And Darvish has looked good thus far.
1: It's spring training. Sure. But he, for a guy coming off of an injury, you want to see that there's like velocity there. What was his injury? He had some sort of elbow thing, didn't What's he? Or elbow a shoulder Z- or
0: something. It was kind of Zach Davies-ish last year, wasn't it?
2: Well, I, I honestly have no idea. It was, exactly, to his it was kind of
0: Zach Davies-ish. It was just kind of like he was injured, but no one really knew what it was. Okay. So uh you, you have the Cubs. Um you they're probably hoping for a big Baez year again. They need Bryant to bounce back. They still have the, cons- the consistency of Anthony Rizzo. Um, and obviously they have a lot of depth all around. So
2: uh, what do you see the Cubs this season? I see the I see the Cubs in in third. Uh, I know that Pakoda has them having a sub 500 year. Um, there are some legitimate questions in terms of their pitching staff, but I still think that the Cubs are going to I, I think that the Brewers and Cardinals are the best te- best two teams in the NL Central. I think that the Cubs could absolutely I think any basically any of the Brewers, the Cardinals, or the Cubs could take the NL Central. I think the Cubs are getting a little bit of a short a short shift. A uh, shrift, I don't know. Uh, and I just think uh, they've got a lot of like, we didn't even talk about Schwarber, we didn't talk about the fact that Albert Amora is a very good center fielder. Um, they're gonna get Addison Russell back, regardless of people's feelings about Addison Russell, he's still going to come back, and people are gonna pretend like you know it's totally normal. Um, and they've got a lot of ability to still put up runs. And I think the biggest, like they're, they're projected to put up as many runs. According to Pakoda, they're projected to have as good of an offense as the Cardinals. And the reason why they're projected to be below 500 is because they're about, they're expected to give up 85 more runs or something close to that. And I don't, I'm not sure that the Cubs pitching staff is going to be that bad. I don't think it will be. I think it's sneaky good, actually,
1: especially if you look at the rotation. And I know they have depth in the bullpen. They do have guys there capable of doing things. So between paper stroke and uh, do they have a manager? Do they have
0: a manager that's going to execute a bullpen plan that they
1: need to win? Probably not an ideal one, but I don't think it necessarily has to be like
2: a disaster. Let me tell you, though. Do you know what now backwards is? one that's what their absolute team motto is going to be where whatever the hell that is um what, does that even make sense i don't, I don't think it <laughs> like does. just because now backwards is one what do, what's the significance of now i don't know i think it was somebody like did an anagram and they were like isn't that cool
1: remember when oh. everybody thought joe madden was like this like brilliant genius in the late
2: aughts well and do you was... want to know why though it was because he looked a little bit different and he was on the race and everybody like absolutely went apeshit over the Rays and thinking that they were the absolute best team, that they were sabermetrics personified, that Andrew Friedman was the smartest person in the world. And yeah, they did a lot of really great things. And the Brewers benefited because Matt Arnold is here now. But he benefited from the fact that he could do something and he and, and honestly it that he looked and talked different and that he was with the Rays that did things and dictated what he was going to do and that he benefited from that.
1: Yes, absolutely. And it was mostly smoke and mirrors. I mean but, he was willing to he was willing to do a lot of shifting and things at a time before it was super popular and like he was on the cutting edge of some of that stuff a while ago. But you look at what they are now and it seems very safe and very well, cutting edge managers turn into old guys
0: eventually. It happens to all really? of them. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's, it's I mean, like, how quickly is are we going to look at Craig Council in 10 years and say that, you know, he's not cutting edge anymore? The game has passed him by. Well, that's a fun thought. But well, I mean, it's it's I am really interested in the central this year because. Obviously, I do think that the Reds are going to score runs. Um, I still do not understand how they're going to pitch well enough. Well, to, they went out and got Derek Johnson. I know. But like, yeah, they did. Um, the 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 Reds are projected to give up more runs than anyone in the NL this year. Well, and I mean, some of that is park, but a lot of it is just their pitching staff is
1: still being cobbled together. Like they haven't they haven't established any sort of like really plus guys other than Rysel Glazius in the closer in role. Their, if you had to name the red starting
2: rotation right now, could you name all five of them?
1: I could get like three or four of them. I mean, it's going to be great. Homer be Bailey's wood. still kicking around, isn't he? Now he got yeah, traded. Homer, Homer Bailey's he?
2: gone. Oh, shit. He got traded.
1: Yeah. No, but I mean, you've got wood and you've got uh, Sonny Gray and you've got...
2: That might be as far as I can go with this. <laughs> uh, some of the young guys. Uh, Castillo, right? I mean, Castillo, I think, is going to be the class of it. But then they traded for Tanner Rourke or they signed him. I don't remember. Oh, what that's they right. Uh, and like, Disclefani is still there. <laughs> Michael um, Lorenzen's kicking around. <laughs> a like, batting practice instead of well, like, pitching, <laughs> uh, Lorenzen. Yeah, he's is the, is yeah, Yasiel
0: Puig gonna haunt the Brewers all season long?
2: I think Yasiel Puig is going to have a very good year.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's probably yeah, but that that buys into their whole their lineup being really good, which I think it
2: was last year. So I don't see why it wouldn't even well, get Scooter's better.
0: Scooters out for two to three months.
2: That is a big, kind yeah. Of but thing. then they're just gonna they're gonna move Jose Peraza there and probably put. Uh, uh, And then I don't necessarily know who will play short. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they're going to have Nick Stenzel there in either in center at at third base soon. Um,
1: They're still going to Stenzel was
2: working out at in center
1: all spring, but now with the scooter thing, I mean, I would almost think
2: that you would just slide him into second base and say, Hey, go play that you've played it a bunch. And look, everybody is going to make fun of the fact that Matt Kemp is still there, but Matt Kemp, uh, a, I don't think really people appreciate, that he was actually quite good last year. Um and like if you look at what he was able to do offensively, he hit 290 with 21 homers. And he's still projected to be have a DRC over 100 this year and he's not even projected to be an everyday guy for them. Yeah. Like he, they're going to score runs. I don't really have much concern over that. It's just the fact that I don't I don't really see their pitching staff being anything good. I I I still think that the class of the NL Central are going to be the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Cubs, and the Reds and Pirates are going to go through stretches where they just, like, cause everybody headaches. The question is going to be, is it so much of a bloodbath that they can't get two teams out of the Central?
0: Well, how, I, big I, impact, I, how big of an impact is uh, Goldschmidt going to have for St. Louis? Or is, is there more that we should be worried about that they're, they're
1: adding to the team this season? You know, they're hoping for Miller also. Andrew miller though he wasn't what he had been last year he's still a very good reliever and potentially you know
2: could have another big impact season so i say i think the biggest question for me is going to be their rotation because carlos martinez is is not going to start the year in in the rotation Uh, adam wainwright i have no idea what to expect alex reyes is probably going to start in the bullpen Uh, when he comes on up. um, I don't know. He might start in in AAA. I'm not necessarily sure. I haven't followed that enough, but it's basically for their starting rotation. It's miles, Mikolas, it's Jack Flaherty and, and I guess probably Michael Walker and, and maybe whatever is left of Adam Wainwright. Like, I don't really know what's going to be happening there. Um, But I think that one thing that the Cardinals will have is I think their bullpen is going to be really good. So is
0: that a similar situation to the Brewers? Because if, if we weren't Brewers fans in a Brewer podcast, wouldn't we kind of look at the Brewers rotation and say, they're going to have Yuli Shasin and guys?
2: Absolutely? You Absolutely. Know? But I think that the one thing that the Cardinals do have, and which is why I actually do think that the Cardinals, I mean, to be honest, I think the Cardinals are going to take the central, um, is that they have the bullpen that we relied on the Brewers to have last year to make up for that starting rotation. And the Brewers are dealing with early season injuries in that where you, we're not really sure what's going to happen in the bullpen. Um, they've got Andrew, they've got Andrew Miller, they've got Jordan Hicks. They're going to have uh, they're going to have Carlos Martinez there. They could move Alex Alex Reyes to the bullpen. They've still got Brett Cecil and Luke Gregerson who have just kind of been long time guys that are good. They've got John Brevia there still. They they're loaded in in the bullpen. And Mikolas and Flaherty, I think, are going to be guys. They're going to be. I think they're better than Shawcine and can really hold them down um the question is going to be what they do in the final three spots there i think that they're going to have enough arms to be able to get through it and is schilt the kind
0: of guy that can take advantage of that bullpen do we know what schilt is yet it was such I a weird it, year I, last year I, it was no like to
1: be i have zero idea yeah i don't think we know yet
0: i mean he seems to be more progressive than mathini obviously <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, I, you'll find I a lot know. of
1: people more progressive than mike Matheny at
2: cpac steve so you know like i do geez. i do wonder if like how much and this is something I don't, I don't know and like we should actually ask cardinals fan this how much of what is happening on a day-to-day basis is being run by the manager and how much is being run by adam wayne right now or molina <laughs> well there's yeah no, I, mean, I was gonna say it's a legitimate question because like how much are you were you've got two guys that are not afraid to publicly criticize their manager for decisions that they don't like and how much are you being run by people who are used to being able to run things
0: well and that means they're basically still being run by Mike Matheny
2: oh no I got your Molina didn't like Matheny at all
0: yeah but I mean would you trust them to side with someone other than the most senior of players and, and stuff like that, right. as opposed to actually going with talent and optimal usage.
2: Right. I think in that way, you're, you're exactly right. Um, I do, I would say the fact that, uh, they're already committing to Carlos Martinez and the bullpen shows that they're going to be a little bit more creative because the, I think Martinez is probably going to start as closer and they're going to want Andrew Miller being kind of the Josh Hader of St. Louis. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, they, they do have some guys actually in their offense that I don't, I think are being overblown. I don't think Harrison Bader is going to be that good. Um, Jose Martinez. I don't really know what to think of him yet. Uh, Tyler O'Neal, huge question marks around him. Marcelo Suna. He hasn't really been the guy that everybody wanted him to be. But hold they- on.
1: Among that group of outfielders though, there's three guys that are going to be good
2: i don't know harrison bader if you look at what he is basically all he does is hit lefties and he is borderline unplayable against righties um to the to the point that like he had low to like 260-ish on base percentage with absolutely no power against righties all throughout his minor league career sure but then dexter Um, Fowler is there to potentially be the other
1: side of a platoon with him
2: yeah i mean if you if you think that the team is really interested in dexter Fowler doing things I mean, I think that there's still a chance. I, Derek Gould was talking
1: about him on some podcast I listened to. I don't even know, um, and he was saying that he thought Fowler had made some significant strides that weren't necessarily sh- that weren't necessarily showing up in the spring training numbers, but were promising in terms of him changing his approach.
2: Dexter Fowler is uh, their Jason Hayward.
1: I was going to say, like,
2: how many times do we hear about that for Jason Hayward for like six years?
1: Sure it it could all be nothing but we'll see I mean, it's it's something to consider i do think that the cardinals have the most balanced roster in the division and that's something i just don't know that they have quite the 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 high end upside before we go on too far we haven't really talked about the pirates at all i think I, the pirates are a sneaky good team oh
2: we're we going to yeah i was that? just
0: going to say do we have anything we want to discuss with the pirates because that's the last I, team we haven't discussed yet
2: look i was going to this is like I, I, I drove the pirates train last year you did like I, I think that the pirates are still interesting um but I don't i I think that the further we go along um guys that you kind of every year waited to break out, your your Gregory Polanco's your Josh Bell's like all of those guys that we looked at and said like what if they take a step forward look how good they're going to be and they just never have um and and not to say they've been bad they've been fine but basically you look around all of their 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 lineup now and aside from somebody like Starling Marte like they're fine
0: are they just becoming aggressively mediocre
2: I think that they're, they have a lot of stability and are just, yeah, they're like what I was describing before we were talking about Roto leagues where I was just like, I kind of just did guys that were good at kind of a little bit of everything and never like got guys who were really good in any specific fantasy category. And that was something that was a a big letdown. But yeah, I mean, they're just, you look at all the, all their guys like Cervelli. Yeah. I mean, he's fine. Josh bell, mediocre first baseman, Adam Frazier, second base. He's probably a low end there. Uh, Eric Gonzalez is going to play shortstop, which I didn't know he was there. Um, Corey Dickerson has been released multiple times. He's fine. Starling Marte is there? Is their good guy in center. And then they've got Gregory Polanco where you're like, yeah, I mean, he looks the part and maybe he could step it up. But if you look at outfielders, he's a, what, a two-win player. He's fine. Um, I just think that, yeah, they're they're kind of, I think aggressively mediocre is a good is a good term for it. I think if you're going to see any place in which they could really kind of step up and be really good, it's going to be in their it's going to be their pitching staff.
1: Yeah, I mean, they do have one of the best young starting pitchers in the game and Jamison Tyen. And then they did go out and get Chris Archer. So you've got that going. They have some young guys that are going to be promoted up uh, during the season in uh, Mitch Keller is one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Their bullpen is good. Like, you have legitimate shutdown guys at the back end in Vasquez and Kila. So, like, you have some pretty legitimate talent there. But then you look at, like, I'm looking at their their depth chart. And, you know, you have Jung Ho Kang, and who knows what's going on there. You have Eric Gonzalez and Adam Frazier as their You know they're non-first base infielders, and that just doesn't feel like competitive with what the top end of the division does. And I don't know that they have enough other stars elsewhere. The outfield's good; it's fine. It's, but it's aggressively mediocre comparing to the Brewers' (laughs) outfield. I mean, it's you know, it's it's, it's nothing. Like it's you know, it's it's really not that significant. So
2: okay, time to make our picks. Uh, Last
1: point, and then we're gonna make our picks.
0: Well, we're
2: gonna do win totals
1: too, right? For these
2: last point i would say if you're looking at the pirates and trying to figure out what like fantasy wise if we're trying to, to joe musgrove don't joe musgrove has really good peripherals his spin rate looks really good picota likes him to be kind of a mid 3s 3s guy and you can find some scouts that really like joe musgrove coming into this season so i i also think that he's there i think that their their starting rotation is uh one of the most solid in in uh, the NL, not even just the the NL Central. I'm really waiting to see if JP ends up with Joe Musgrove
1: tonight in the draft now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Ryan, you want to go first with your uh, picks for the divisions and the wild card?
1: Okay, we aren't going to do the full division rundown. We're not going to run down every division when you get to no, no, this. no. I mean the the NL Central like win totals. I, we were going to do that. Oh, do okay. the other
0: two divisions and then do the
1: NL Central. Oh, okay. So let's I, I, run the show. i definitely show (laughs) i definitely have uh yeah the phillies winning the east the dodgers winning the west and i think that you're going to have the nationals as one of the wild card teams and then in the nl central it's just a mess right now my gut call is i think the cubs win the division with 91 wins the cardinals end up with 90 wins the brewers end up with 89 wins so, the cardinal, or sorry, the the Cardinals end up getting the second wild card, and the Brewers
2: are out of the playoffs completely. But it's so close, who knows? But where where are they getting all those wins from? Hmm? Where are they getting all? The, do you expect the Reds and the Pirates to be kind of low seventies? Oh no! So what I'm expecting the Pirates to be about like
1: right around eighty wins, and the Reds to be seventy six, seventy seven. They're a better right. team than that, but they're gonna get. Yeah. So again, like, where are all of those wins coming from? They're going to largely come from the the West and the bad teams in the in the well, the Marlins. I was gonna say, who are the bad teams yeah. in the East? It's, it's really the through. Marlins, and then the I think they're gonna fatten up really on the NL West. So, and I think the East is going to do that too. I think you're gonna see the NL West really end up with some low win totals because of that. Because when they go out of division, they're basically playing a,
2: a competent team every single night. See, this
0: is why I didn't want to do win totals, because it's going to be such a cluster to try to like pick wins. Yeah.
2: And I was going to say, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if only one team wins 90 in, in the NL. Oh, in the
1: NL. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I think that it, for that reason, I'd say the Dodgers are going to run away with the West. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the Dodgers will run away with the West. And like I said, I have the Cubs at 91. The Uh, the Cardinals at 90 and the Brewers at 89, like none of them really getting distance on the rest of the field. Yeah. JP, what do you have?
2: Uh, So for the NL East, I, I think it's going to be the nationals and uh, I think the Braves are going to get uh, a wild card spot. Um, I think in the central, I think the Cardinals will take it. The Brewers will get the second. um, Well, well, either the first or the second, I don't know who's going to be better between the, the Braves and the, and the Brewers. I think the Cubs will come in third. Uh, And then I still think you'll probably see uh, I'll say the reds just because they might have some some midseason guys Uh, and then the pirates come in fifth and um, because maybe it'll actually mean the pirates do well if I project them to be last and uh, in the West. Yeah, I think it's going to be the Dodgers. I think everybody else is going to be a step behind them. So my my winners for the nl i i think that the nationals are going to take the east i think that the cardinals will take the central and i think that the dodgers will take the west i think my two uh card teams in some capacity i don't know who will be better than whom but i think it will be the braves and the brewers
0: okay i it, it's up to me now last yeah. one yeah i'm I, interested to see this well i like the nationals in the east as well uh and then I think the Braves are going to be close. So they're going to be one of my wild card teams. Um, Dodgers are going to run away with the West. I don't know what to do with the Central.
2: I mean, <laughs> it's it's frightening take, because take, I think. Take the Brewers. Take the Brewers. I am. I'm that would be
1: very off brand for Steven. I'm going to take it. the You're... Brewers to win it. I'm going to take That'll the Brewers be... to win the
2: Central this year. That is the most yeah. off brand thing I've ever seen. <laughs> look he's just bringing he's bringing diversity of content to the podcast okay (laughs) and then uh, and then uh, brewers
0: are the only team in the central to make the playoffs because the rockies get the other spot they're able to fatten up on the west
1: hey i think that's
2: that's actually a decent call yeah
1: i mean that potentially could happen just because yeah there's so many wins up for grabs with those bad teams in the west
0: yeah so uh ryan you wanted to do picks for rookie of the year cy
1: young and mvp yeah, so in the AL, I don't think there's any question that it's Vlad Jr. I, I imagine we're all going to go that direction. That seems to make the most sense. I have not looked into rookies
0: this season at but all. But I mean, so, sure. 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 I mean, come on. Yes, I agree. But I haven't – sit. I, I don't have a list in front of me. I don't know.
1: And in the NL, I think that uh, uh, that Tatis Jr. is going to come up early enough and be good enough that he'll win the award there too. So I think those two guys, two of the top three prospects in the game right now, will be the uh, AL and NL Rookie of the Year winners. AL and NL Cy Young is just a mess. Give me Garrett Cole in the American League and in the National League. uh, You were the one who put these on here. So why are you sitting here and thinking about it? I went first. I went first. You guys will have the benefit of me sitting here and hemming and hawing. Uh, Give me Walker Bueller in the... In the NL, uh, taking a huge step forward, and
2: then for MVP, whenever he shows up, isn't he still injured right now? Bueller? Yeah, he, yeah, he might not make the starting. He might not make the opening day roster. I didn't even know that.
1: Okay, well, never
2: mind. That's well, eh. you could still, win. You I'm still, still win. win. I'm still sticking still, with it. <laughs> yeah,
1: you can still be. His, yeah, so I was yeah. gonna say,
2: there's no big question mark there. Um,
1: give me Bryce Harper and Mike Trout to win the MVPs. <laughs> It, I mean, okay, if you're picking against Mike Trout, that's insane. So that's that's almost as obvious as the Vlad Guerrero Jr. and uh, Harper. I, you know, I'm in on that. I think that this is going to be a big year for him. JP, do you want to make
2: these picks? So is this? So this is me doing the the Rookie of the Year and all that stuff. I think yeah. Vladito. I think Vladito takes the the Rookie of the Year. In the AL, I think in the NL, I think Tatis is probably a decent call. I'll take Nick Stancell, uh, Nick Stancell, just because he plays in a, uh, you know, a child's ballpark and he can uh, hit a bunch. Um, and so wait, for, which one were you taking? Did you take Senzel? Yeah. Okay, you did. Okay. And uh, for Cy Young, I will, I, I'm, I'm still going to go with, I think, I'll go with uh, Blake Snell um, for for Tampa. And uh, and then in the NL, I'll I'll take uh, Max Scherzer um, to be to be an NL, NL Cy Young. And then who should for, who should basically win it like every year? Yeah, probably. Now that Kershaw is not what Kershaw used to be, yeah. Um, and then for MVP, um, man, like it's an actual discussion now whether it's Mike Trout or Mookie Betts. Um, I think, I think I'm I I'm gonna go with Betts actually. Um, not because I think that he's necessarily better. I think he's got a better team around him, and he's going to be able to put up some better contextual statistics, and especially defensively. Every single year, he's now getting better defensive numbers than Trout. That it also helps will- to not
0: will- be in the West where no one sees you play.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's. I think that that's right. Um, and then I think for NL MVP, I'm I'm actually going to take Hobby Bias. Uh, I think Javi Baez is going to be... I think he's going to have a really good offensive year. I think defensively his numbers are going to look great. I think Yelich uh, takes a little bit of a step back. I don't think Bryce Harper is going to get the defensive numbers to to kind of impress anybody. The, I do think that uh, an outside shot, if I did have to take an outside shot, would be uh, Ronald Acuna.
1: That makes I sense. Like that. Yeah, I, I, like was, that. I was tempted to take Chris Bryant as a bounce-back candidate because I think he's going to have a, a monster year for the Cubs, but...
0: I could see that. I don't. I don't agree with the bias thing only because I think he kind of hit
1: his ceiling last season. Yeah, I would expect a regression as opposed to progression.
2: No, I think if you look at the numbers, I actually think he's being underdrafted in fantasy as well. Uh, I think his power and speed is legit. I think defensively, he's he's going to be able to get benefit from all of those statistics. Um, and I well then pick think, Lorenzo Cain. What what was that? Then pick Lorenzo Cain if we're going to go I, on defense. I don't think Lorenzo Cain's going to hit for enough power. I think hobby Baez hits 30 homers. So,
0: uh, any other hot picks for anything? I'm not picking any of this because I don't care.
1: The World Series? You're not picking the oh awards? yeah? We got to do
0: World Series. We got to do World Series.
1: Oh, so AL NL and then World Series. So who will be in the World Series and who will win it? I guess makes the most yes, sense. Yes, who
0: is in the World Series and who's going to win it? Yeah. Ryan, be,
1: go let JP go first. Ryan. I've been going first all the time.
2: I'll take, I'll take the Yankees and the Nats, um, even though I think that the, the Red Sox are going to win the division. And I think once it gets to the postseason and the Yankees can shorten games with their bullpen, I think that they're going to take the whole thing. Give me a
1: classic Yankees-Dodgers World Series and the Dodgers finally get over the hump. And they win it.
0: Uh, I'm going to go Houston and Milwaukee. If I'm going to pick Milwaukee to win the division, let's get to the World Series this year.
1: Yeah, Houston and Milwaukee, with Milwaukee being from the AL – or from the NL and Houston being from the AL, so, so yeah, so,
2: that's what yeah. they're that's what they're in. Well, they it used to be the quick, other way around. Quick question, and, and not to like throw a huge wrench in this. So, Ryan, you didn't pick the Brewers to win the the NL Central. I didn't pick the Brewers to win the NL Central. Steve obviously did because you know Steve's a rock star. Um, Brewers and Kimbrel. Does it change your calculus? Yeah, give me the Brewers to win the division.
1: It's that yeah. close for me.
2: Uh for for me, I still think that the, I I don't think it does. I think the I think the Cardinals still barely take it. Um, but yeah, I was interested to see how you know one per. I think if Canable comes back really quickly and they sign Kimbrel, I think I would take the Brewers. Uh, but I think that right now I'm kind of working under the assumption that Canabel might be out for the year. Well,
1: I mean, if we had Jeffress come back. Either Jeffers or Knable, and they signed Kimbrel. Yeah, I think the Brewers are the favorite again. But it, it's just so close because it's those teams are just all so good. They have so many really above-average players and not a lot of holes. Really, like trying to find holes on those rosters is really hard. So between all of that, you're looking at just what should be a really good race and a big slugfest throughout the entire season
0: yeah so it'll be a fun season um obviously i think everybody's gonna follow real close so we're gonna have a lot of ups and downs as usual so try to remember especially in april that <laughs> there's a long long way to
1: go man i hope this is not like 2012 where we had that wonderful everything felt really good for most of 2011 it was so positive and then 2012 was like the penance that you do for that where it was just brutal pain anguish punishment every night and yeah. and that was especially because of the bullpen and that's the worry that you would have is that because of the injuries that things could just kind of unravel that way and that's it kind of looms over everything always because bullpens are that way generally unless you're the yankees and you have like 12 guys but you know
2: yeah you don't I don't think you have to convince Steve that bullpens are like that. Yeah, you don't at all. So, Steve, uh, do you not like bullpens? They can kill it
0: with fire. So, um, you know, we had a couple questions I was going to do to wrap up the podcast, but we were going really long, and we can save them for next week. So, uh, that is going to do it for this week's show. And JP, you want to give a shout out to a couple new patrons?
2: Absolutely. Uh, huge thanks to Ross Telner and Mike Menzel for joining our po- uh, our Patreon and helps us kind of run things and make Steve happy by giving us equipment that makes it sound decent.
0: Exactly. That's that's what I'm going for. And uh, I think both those guys are in the Fantasy Baseball League. So, yep, that, uh, and
2: that'll be happening tonight. And um, it'll be a really good draft because we randomized it right before so we could see what was going to happen. And uh, Steve and Ryan are going to pick right next to each other and so they can just yell at each other all night. So it'll be fun. Oh,
1: it's going to be an absolute... That's going to be an NL Central level bloodbath of just us screaming at each other.
2: Well, and then it's
0: 16 teams, so uh, I think talent's going to spread out real quick. It does
1: thin out, so you really have to have like guys in mind for your, your depth picks. So,
0: Yep, uh, it'll be fun, and then uh, maybe we'll do a little bit of a recap on that next week. Without me? Without Ryan, so that'll make it even more fun so we can laugh at his team and he can't defend it. Um, hey remember you can join our Patreon by visiting Patreon.com slash MKETailgate Patrons at the m and Ball and Glove levels receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast as always Follow us on Twitter at tailgate. That's where we have the prop bets uh, Pinned if you're looking for The link for that um, Again I'll also post it elsewhere If you follow the three of us I'm sure we'll Retweet it at various points as well um, If you want to join that And I usually put it in the details of the podcast So if you're looking for the link and you just want to do it from your phone, click for the details on the podcast, and it should send you right there. Uh, Remember, you can submit questions at milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and we're on Spotify. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening. Look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.
2: we hey.